walked through last Sunday, I think the message cut off at the end in our regular live stream. But we made the point that these sons of God were fallen angels because in the Old Testament, that is a technical term that refers to angels. Job 38.7, the morning stars sang together, talking about creation, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So that was at the creation, and the angels shouted for joy. Job 1.6 includes even Satan, since he's an, he's an angel, though he's a fallen angel. The sons of God gathered in the presence of God, and Satan was among them. And notice that in each of these occasions, angels are called sons of God, B'nai Elohim. And uh, Bud and Aaron were at a retreat this past week, and the speaker was a Jewish rabbi who had become a Christian. And so Bud, uh, wanting to confirm my uh, sermon from last Sunday, asked him about sons of God. And he agreed that it was angels. And he's raised in the Hebrew environment, in the Jewish language. And I was glad to see that he was correct. <laughs> um, but fallen angels, as we pointed out last week, envy God's people. They envy humanity. You can see it in the Garden of Eden when Adam had sinned that God came to him and, and brought him into a confession of an acknowledgement of his sin, Genesis 3.21. And then for the first time, God shed blood and covered Adam and his wife with garments. And I used to think that, that he just killed an animal and took the skin and put it over him. But that's not what it says. He, he, he made garments of the skins. Also uh, translated as robes. And the only other time this word is used in the book of Genesis is in Genesis 37.3 when it says that Jacob, Israel or Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other children because he was son of his old age. And so he made him a garment. Same word as the word for Adam's robe. He made him a garment, a robe of many colors. And of course, what did the brothers do? They envied his status. They, they were jealous and they hated him. And so this is similar to how Satan and the fallen angels view uh, Adam and the descendants of Adam and us is that they are jealous and envious of our favor with God. Adam was received back into favor while fallen angels are never forgiven. So there is no atonement, no savior for angels. 
So they are envious of our status. They are envious of our mercies, since they know only justice. They are envious of our future, because in the New Testament, angels are no longer called sons of God. They're called servants of those who inherit salvation in Hebrews 1. But who are the sons of God in the New Testament? Romans 8.32, those who are led by the Holy Spirit are the sons of God. So we have usurped their position as God's own family and angels as the servants. So they hate us. They, they envy our mercies, our future. Our, they envy our bodies. See, your body is how you connect to the material world. This is how you stand on the earth. It's how you have children. It's how you, you enjoy food and sex. All of this is of the earth. And angels look at, the fallen angels look at this and say, I wish I had that. Uh, angels, in Mark chapter 5, fallen angels or demons, uh, Jesus came to a man who was full of demons. And the, and the demons spoke through this man and said, uh, Jesus, we know who you are. Why are you bothering us? And he was going to cast them. He's telling them to leave. And they said, if you're going to make us leave, at least give us permission to enter the pigs. They had a big pen of pigs. And I thought, well, two things. One, they had to get Jesus' permission to even enter a pig. He's Lord of all. They can't do anything against you without his permission. But number two, they would rather be in a pig's body than have no body at all. They want your body. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of weird that who wants my body? They do. They want your marriages. And so they cannot have them, so they hate them. Uh, I want to give you a verse in Matthew 19.3. This is a little aside, okay? There's a little parentheses here. Matthew 19.3, Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him, saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? That was their question to it. Now, the thing I want to point out is that the word divorce in Greek is apolion. Apo means away from, lion or luo is to loose. It was used of loosing a horse, taking the harness off and letting him go. It was used of loosing a boat from its moorings. To loose away from, to let go of. So the, that's the Greek word divorce. Apollyon is the word. 
to divorce. And then you go to Revelation 9-11. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. And he's speaking here of Satan as a king over the other angels, over the other fallen angels. He's a king over, the, over them. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, because he is Abaddon. And in Greek, this is Revelation 9-11, it actually gives you the word. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. This is amazing. All right. Not all right. Are we good? Okay. So here's my point on Revelation 9-11. The, one of the names of Satan is divorce. Why on earth would he be called by that? Because he hates marriage. Your marriage is spiritual warfare. And you have an enemy and an adversary in the invisible realm who envies what you have, fight for it. Can I get an amen, somebody? Now, what I want to do this morning with, uh, and we're going to move on from this, but I thought I would just summarize the four main falls of the devil and his angels in Holy Scripture or the four main judgments where he is cast down. Here they are. Number one, this is what we would call the pre-creation fall. In Genesis 3, when Satan comes to Adam and Eve, and they're in this pristine garden, and all is well. Satan is already Satan. First time you meet him, he's already evil. So there must have been some kind of a fallout with God previous to Genesis 3. Maybe that explains the, the chaos and darkness of Genesis 1. But... It seems like there was a fall from heaven, 
of Satan and some cohorts of his, other angels, join him before you get to the Garden of Eden. Uh, perhaps a passage which reflects this is Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Yeah, I think he's speaking of the devil here. Every precious stone was your covering, Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, annex, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. You were crafted in gold, in settings and engravings. In other words, he was, he was made to reflect light or the glory of God. So he was put up there with all those as bejeweled attire reflecting the glory of God, like the moon reflects the sun. And it says, Ezekiel 28, 14, and you were an anointed cherub that guards or covers. So he was a cherub, an angel. There's seraphim and cherubim. The cherubim are a little above the seraphim. So he was a high-ranking cherub Created in absolute gorgeous attire. He looked like Liberace. And he reflected, because he's so close to the glory of God, it's just dazzling. And he can still reproduce that kind of dazzling light today. Paul said he makes himself a, uh, as an angel of light. And verse 15 says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, and that's not said of any man. He says, Till unrighteousness was found in you and your heart was proud, verse 17, because of your beauty. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor and I cast you to the ground. There's a fall. So Satan was evicted from heaven at some point because of his pride, his self-exaltation, and self-promotion. Pre-creation fall. Second, there's the fall of Genesis 6 that we've talked about last week. And I gave you Jude chapter 6, or Jude chapter 1 verse 6. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their habitation, their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness till the judgment of the great day. Um, now this is a segment of angels that God did not permit to to be free. These were not only kicked out of heaven, but they were kicked out of earth as well. So this is a group of angels that we would say is in Genesis 6 and in, uh, in Jude 1-6, I think, refers to them. So these angels sinned uh, particularly in a provocative manner before God. 
and God didn't stand for it. He sent the flood, and he put those angels into a special section of hell to reserve them unto the judgment, the final judgment. You know, a question, why didn't God just put all angels, all the fallen angels in hell at the same time? Why did, he, why did he put the ones in Genesis 6, why did he put them in, in a section of hell and leave the others to run around, which you see in the four Gospels, Jesus cast out demons. Why are they still here? 1 Peter 5 says, Satan walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Why does God let him do that? And I think the key is in, in this. He wants to test us. He wants to strengthen us there's a verse in Judges chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 that helps us here uh, when Joshua took Israel into Canaan land and they took the land and then Joshua died but it says Joshua 3 1 or Judges chapter 3 verse 1 these are the nations that the Lord left in Canaan, to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced the wars in Canaan under Joshua, he left them only to teach war to the descendants of Israel who had not had previous battle experience. He's teaching them war. He's teaching them to fight He's teaching them to grow up, to be adults. So he left some of the nations to cause them problems. This is, this is why we've heard of David, because he had a Goliath. You need a Goliath in order to become who God's called you to be. So this is why God permits some demons, many fallen angels, to remain. So there's a fall before creation. There's a fall in Genesis 6. The sons of God saw the daughters of men and God judged them and put them in hell. And then third, there is a fall at the ascension of Christ. Turn over in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Now, <clears throat> something that you will notice reading the Old Testament is that Satan seems to have access to heaven. Have y'all noticed that? In Job chapter 1, the sons of God came before God and Satan was among them. He has access to go right up to God. And what does he do? He accuses Job. He accuses God to Job. You see the same thing in Zechariah 3 when the high priest is standing before the Lord and Satan is standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's, the, that's the, where the prosecutor stands. It's the right hand. Satan is the prosecutor in the courts of heaven and you're the defendant 
and he accuses and he has access to God and he says regarding this sinner, oh God, he has violated your law. I ask you to keep your law and condemn him. I ask you to judge him. He's a sinner. He's worthy of your judgment. So Satan was the accuser of the brethren in the Old Testament. But look at uh, Revelation chapter 12. There are three big symbols here. In verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. I take that to be uh, faithful Israel, the, the remnant, the faithful Israel embodied, personified by Mary, the faithful Jewish girl. Verse 2, she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth and another sign appeared in heaven. Here's the second symbol. A great red dragon. Now that, that shouldn't be too hard to define who he is. That's the devil. And he had seven heads and ten horns. That is, he has wisdom or craftiness, and he has power uh, by the horns, and on his head was seven diadems. He's got a few victories under his belt. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. That may be that pre-creation following that he got among the angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Verse 4. And when she bore her child, he was going to devour it. Now I take that to be that time when Mary brought forth the Christ child in Matthew chapter 2. And there was Herod. Satan was using Herod to devour that child, to kill that child, because Satan knew, and a lot of history of the Bible is, uh, revolves around the seed of the woman is going to crush your head, and there he is ready to kill it. So she, he's there to devour the child. But verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, and this would be Christ, because, number one, he was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's Christ. And the child was caught up to God in the throne. That's Christ. That's the ascension. Caught up to God in the throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness, verse 6, where she had a place prepared by God. That, I think, is the faithful remnant in the first century who fled out of Jerusalem because they saw it was surrounded by Roman armies. In the, the Dead Sea Scrolls are the result of a lot of the faithful remnant fleeing Jerusalem in the first century. So you have the woman producing a child. The dragon tries to stop him, tries to kill him. He couldn't kill him. He was caught up to God. Now look at verse 7. The English Standard Version. Revelation 12, 7 says, Now war arose. When is the now of Revelation 12, 7? At the ascension. This is the third fall. Satan wanted to stop 
Jesus Christ from ascending into heaven to the right hand of the Father to represent us because once Christ is there on our behalf, his accusations are done. Because Jesus represented me at the cross paying for my sins. He represents me in heaven standing at the right hand of God on my behalf. I'm accepted in his acceptance. I'm his body in the earth. He's mine in heaven. And Satan knows if he doesn't stop the ascension, he's going to be removed and disbarred from the heavenly courts because he has no ground to stand on. And so war arose, verse 7. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And notice verse 8. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. You don't have a Job chapter 1 now. You don't have Zechariah 3 now. You don't have Satan with access to the heavenly courts to accuse any Christian of his sin. Why not? Because, because Jesus is my representative. Is he going to accuse Jesus of anything? I'm saved in his righteousness, not mine. So he's been... He's lost his license to practice law before God the Father in the throne of heaven. And it says in verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, in verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying, Now is salvation, power, and kingdom of God and authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down four times. It says Satan was thrown down. He accused us before God day and night, but now he's thrown down. Hallelujah. Now, that doesn't mean Satan can't come to you and accuse you to you. Amen? And if you seek refuge in your own good deeds, you will lose the argument with the devil. What must you look to? Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Let the argument begin. You know what they say in, uh, uh, you ever watch these detective shows and they, they come in, they have the guy there that they think did it and the uh, detective is there and then there's the, the room where everybody else is watching through the window or TV screen and the guy says, I don't want to speak without my lawyer present. And those detectives, oh man, See, that's what we need to do. Satan comes to us. We have a few questions about your life. I don't want to speak without my lawyer present. I have an advocate. He'll answer for me. And you can uh, 
examine him to see what he says. And he says, you see these nail prints in my hands? I paid that debt off a long time ago. So this is the fall that Satan endured at the ascension where he lost his very access to heaven itself. This isn't the only place that this uh, battle is, was, is mentioned. Colossians 2.15 says about Christ that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open public shame by triumphing over them. The angels that fell with Satan we're all embarrassed by this defeat in front of all the angels of heaven. You guys can't come in here anymore. And he's humiliated. And even though Satan can accuse you to yourself, he can accuse you to others, and he can accuse, he can go to someone and accuse them to you. That's all down here in the earth. Up in heaven, there is no satanic attack on your character because Jesus is there on your behalf, making intercession. So Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring any charge or any accusation against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that would condemn? Christ Jesus has died. And more than that, he was raised and is at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So who's, what are you going to accuse us of? If you're going to tell me I'm coming, God's going to judge me, let me tell you something, devil. I've been judged at the cross. I was found guilty I was found to be a sinner worthy of a curse and a cross and Jesus stepped in. That's my judgment. It already happened 2,000 years ago. That's my hope for heaven. I say that's a solid rock. There's one other fall and it is the final fall of Satan. We've seen that he, in, there was a pre-creation fall. We've seen there was a Genesis 6 fall where they, these, those fallen angels with Satan, some of them followed Satan. And, and out of that group, some of them decided to go further and marry human women. And those were all immediately taken at the flood state, at the flood tide of Noah, and God judged the world and those fallen angels at the same time. The third fall is at the ascension when he's uh, disbarred from heaven. The fourth and final fall is in Revelation 20. And, and let's go to Revelation chapter 20. And look at verse 10. 
And the devil who deceived them was thrown. <laughs> Here he is thrown again. He's thrown around more than a softball. And the devil that deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the final fall of our enemy. Satan is permitted to be here because God is teaching us to grow up, to fight, to rule, to reign, to win, to grow, to strengthen. But there's coming a day when those, when the fight is over and Satan will be permanently placed in the lake of fire forever. Look down, if you would, at this. This is called the great white throne judgment, verse 11. It's the final judgment of all men. Verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Notice that. God has a record. He has books, and every sin in thought, word, and deed goes into those books. But notice the plural. We would say it's a library. <laughs> if he kept... If he kept a record of our sins, he needs more than one book. But then notice carefully in verse 12. The books were opened. Then another book. Praise God. Which is the book of life. Now over in chapter 21, verse 27, it's called the Lamb's book of life. But it says the dead are judged in verse 12, the last statement. The dead are judged. The judgment comes by what's written in the books, plural, according to what they had done. But there's this other book. What is this other book? What is this book of life? Look at verse 15. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, notice it's singular. He's if, you're not, if your name's not in the book of life, you're thrown in the lake of fire. What is that book of life? It's different from the books of judgment. At the final judgment, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life where the Lamb paid for your sin, that's why it's called the Lamb's book of life, His blood was shed for you. You have embraced that as your hope for for knowing God and being in heaven forever, that is the foundation of your faith. If your name, if you've embraced Christ, your name is put in the Lamb's book of life. If not, your name is in the books, plural, where every thought, word, and deed comes out and God says, I have evidence that you did this. And you sinned not just against yourself and against your family and against your loved ones, 
but against me. You've offended glorious dignity. And that is when the final judgment comes. But if your name is in the book of life, you are not judged. Why? Because your judgment was already at the cross. You took Christ as the focus of your judgment. Some people live like the death of Christ means nothing. Like Jesus died for his own because he got in trouble with the Roman government. Jesus died in my place and in your place. You reject that, you stand before God without his righteousness to cover you. Listen to John 5 in verse 24. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You hear the word, that's what you've done this morning. And you believe in him who sent Christ, then you have eternal life. And notice, he does not come into judgment. Praise God. I'm asking you, if you're not a Christian, don't go to judgment. Let Christ on the cross be your judgment. I like what uh, the old uh, Presbyterian pastor, he's with the Lord now, Dr. James Kennedy in Coral, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida. He, when he became a Christian, he said, I learned that you don't have to go into judgment before the judge that you can settle out of court through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We've settled out of court, brethren. And if there's nothing else good going on in your life today, you can rejoice, you can leave here happy today because the judgment is over. And you can be embraced by the Savior. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation. The verdict is in already, and you were found not guilty. Hallelujah. Let's pray together, and ushers, you come. And let's worship the risen Christ, our hope for heaven and our foundation on which we stand today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you with all our hearts for our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we thank you, O Son of God. We love you. We appreciate what you did for us. We praise your name today. Amen. Amen.
God is great.